Well, I spent those 10 years just denying that I was a widow. I would not use the word. I would not talk about the fact I was, I was just single. I was without my husband. And when I finally, I had to embrace that because I had that, I couldn't go on with my ministry to widows if I couldn't even say that I'm a widow. So it took, that was a big step for me to begin to identify myself as a widow. You know, when you fill out those forms and you have to check your marital status. And the first time you do that, you think you're going to die. And then you do it again. And then you do it again. When somebody introduces you, oh, this is Laura, she's a widow. But you don't want that label on you. You don't mm. want that to be part of your identity. But it is part of your identity. When life as you know it is flipped upside down, we struggle to make sense of it all. Why would a good God allow this to happen? Hi, I'm Sherry Pilkington, your host of Finding God in Our Pain. In early 2018, the deepest questions of my life erupted when I unexpectedly lost my husband of 32 years. Since then, I've searched the heart of God for what He has to say about pain and suffering. In this podcast, we'll discover how God enters into our pain, shepherds us through our darkest valley, and out into the green pastures once again. I'll bring you firsthand stories from women who will allow us into their authentic struggle, along with professional advice from experts, counselors, and others who can speak to what it looks like to navigate pain. Join me as we discover God's answers to the deepest cries of our shattered heart. Laura Warfell, founder of More Than a Widow, is my guest today. And our conversation is centered around being a widow. Sadly, she and I share that status. She offers encouragement, resources, and her personal insight into what she's learned and discovered along her journey. Because Laura's website is such a rich asset, I wanted to share the info on her resource tab. And I talked to her about what she offers there. You'll find free and recommended resources. The free ones are the ones she's authored. And the recommendations are the ones that have made a direct impact on her life as she navigated her way through the loss of her precious husband, Jean. For many years after her husband's passing, Laura avoided the title of widow, and that journey led her to have an honest conversation with God about what she's supposed to do with her life now. Once she made peace with her widow status, God led her to start more than a widow. Now Laura's focus is to share the encouraging news that God has more for every one of us, and she strives to help widows discover their more and live out the more that God has for them. She was such a blessing to me. I purchased a couple of the resources that she spoke about, and I'm waiting for them to arrive. And also, after talking with her, I reached out to my home church to find out if they have resources for widows at the church. I found out they did not. And so I'm starting conversations to discover how can we put something in place for our widows that are connected up with the church and our community. You might wonder why I have not looked for a widow support group already. And to be honest with you, while I'm not out of touch with the fact that my husband is gone, I don't think of myself as a widow. I know, I know I am a widow, but I don't think of myself as a widow. I know that sounds strange because it feels strange too. Laura and I had a brief but impactful conversation because connecting you with Laura and all that she has for widows is equipping us to live out our more and embrace a new path full of new experiences and joys, things we hadn't imagined. 
If you are a widow, listen in to discover the beauty that will help you take that next step. And if you know a widow, please make sure you connect her with Laura Warfel. Laura, L-A-U-R-A, Warfel, W-A-R-F, as in Frank, E-L, of more than a widow. You'll find her on her website, laurawarfel.com. Welcome, Laura, and thank you for your willingness to come here and share your personal journey into widowhood. And I'm sorry that we share that title, but welcome. Thanks, Sherry. And I'm sad about that too, but then I'm also glad that that has brought us together for this time and this place. That is true. I I do count many new people, many new friends in my uh, circle now because of this particular experience in my life. Having conversations with you, looking at your website, it's very comforting. It does add another layer of peace to that. So thank you very much for the work that you're doing. Because your website, laurawarfel.com, has an amazing blog. It's got great resources. And you are really an instrument for healing and turning the negative title of widow over into something more positive and beautiful. Tell me about your experience. How did you enter into this title, this label of widow? Well, I guess I need to go back to high school. I was in a high school speech class and a young man sat down in front of me and we began to talk and that conversation lasted for the rest of our lives together. We were friends. We challenged each other spiritually. Uh, He was a great mentor for me, but he went on, he was a senior. I was a freshman. He went on to college and got married and went on with his life. I went on to college, got married, went on with my life. And then about 25 years later, I was divorced. He was a widower and we kind of took our relationship to a different level, decided to date. And then we decided to get married and we just felt like God had put all that together. And it was kind of amazing to be able to look back over all those years and see how he did put all that together. He was a pastor. He was uh, also blind from an illness and he had three teenagers. So we had quite an adventure together. (laughs) I love how God plants seeds and connections long before they ever come to fruition. I know he's done that in my life. And especially after losing my husband, there were things that came forward that I didn't even know I would need, but already had the connection in place when that need arose. So I love this little thread that has run through your life about reconnecting you with him. What was your husband's name? His name was Gene. So Gene, and then you lost Gene. How many years were you married? We were married for seven and a half years. He had some health issues and they were becoming more serious, but neither, both of us were very optimistic and we never thought they were going to become so serious as to end his life. So we kept pursuing the treatments and doing things to make his life better and more comfortable. And then he had an illness that everything got out of control and and then his life was done. Mm. I'm sorry about that too. And he was young. Yes, he was 51 and I became a widow at 48. Mm. So that I would say is on the young side for, for being a widow you're not definitely not prepared for it. And again, both of us were very optimistic and I hadn't even thought about the the possibility that I was going to be a widow at, at 48. So you wake up the next morning and your whole life is different. 
and at first people are around you and they're there for the funeral and they're there to help you with things. And then eventually everybody goes back to their own lives, but I didn't felt like I really didn't have a life anymore. So I spent probably about a month just sitting in my chair in front of the TV and watching every Joyce Meyer episode I could possibly watch. She saved my life. Her teaching was so direct and so practical and just what I needed for that time in my life. And I I am so grateful for that. Then I took about 10 years to feel sorry for myself and wander around and try to figure out what's my life now. And finally, I asked God, oh, God, what is it that you want me to do with my life? And he was thrilled to tell me what it was. It was more than a widow, which is what I do now. It took me about two more years to formulate and figure out and plan what that was going to look like and talk myself into doing it. Yeah, it's scary. (laughs) It is. It's very scary. And so I've been to I've had more than a widow now for about six years. You have a very vibrant Facebook profile and Instagram and your website is very strong. So you are thriving in that realm. It really caught my heart because you were speaking directly to me. Your husband was young. You were young. I was a little bit older than you. But still, that that 50-year mark, that's when you start to look at, okay, we have worked hard. Blood, sweat, and tears have been invested in our life, especially you guys. Y'all are in the honeymoon stage. Our so daughter kind of- was married and our two sons were in college. So we kept going. So what's this empty nest syndrome that everybody's talking about? <laughs> Right. Because you were. we were, yeah, we were really having, having a great time just getting to know each other better and having new experiences together. And then it's gone, just gone. Yeah. The next day, like you said, life is completely different. And now you said it took you a month just sitting in a chair. I don't remember the first year at all. So that I understand that loss, that title of wife got stripped away right. and replaced with widow. That was extremely strange to me. Can you talk to me about your experience on switching labels, titles? Because there's a lot of responsibilities that are associated with those titles, and we identify with those titles. Well, I spent those 10 years just denying that I was a widow. I would not use the word. I would not talk about the fact I was was just single. I was without my husband. And when I finally... I had to embrace that because I had that I couldn't go on with my ministry to widows if I couldn't even say that I'm a widow. So it took that was a big step for me to begin to identify myself as a widow. You know, when you fill out those forms and you have to check your marital status. And the first time you do that, you think you're going to die. And then you do it again. And then you do it again. When somebody introduces you, Oh, this is Laura. She's a widow. But you don't want that label on you. You mm-hmm. don't want that to be part of your identity, but it is part of your identity. So part of my ministry is helping people move beyond the label. Okay, I am a widow, but there's more to that story. I don't don't categorize me as a widow, as you understand a widow. Look at me. I am a widow. Look at who I am. And this will show you what a widow looks like. So that's one of my favorite posts. I do it 
every once in a while, I just put a picture of myself and say, this is what a widow looks like. And I, I always hope that people will look and go, wow, I never would have suspected <laughs> she was a widow looking at her picture, you know. So that's that's kind of just a little joke that I, I like to use sometimes. And that's also too, it's warming, I think, kind of takes the edge off. And there's a lot of stigma that goes with being a widow. Can you talk about some of the things that you help widows overcome because of that? I think there are a lot of cultural misunderstandings. And here I'm, I'm speaking from our United States culture. I know being a widow in other countries is a totally different experience. And especially in developing countries, widows often have their rights taken away, their property taken away. Sometimes they're isolated together in their own village. Sometimes the family totally rejects them and leaves them penniless and takes all their assets. So in the United States, most of the time, we don't have to deal with those kinds of realities. But there are a lot of cultural misunderstandings about widows. And some of the ones that I've come across, number one, a lot of people believe that there is some government program out there that takes care of every widow and no widow has to worry about money. No widow has to support herself, that everything's taken care of. And I'm just here to say, uh, depending on your age, your financial status, whether you have children or not, all those things affect any assistance that you receive. And even when you do receive assistance at certain ages, there are limits on that and the government sets the limits. And I don't get me wrong, I'm totally thankful for everything that I do receive at this stage in my life. But when I was first widowed, I there was nothing. So we had just moved uh, to a new town. My husband had taken a new job. We had just bought a new house. Uh, our savings were gone because we had to, had to pay for all that unexpectedly. So when he passed away, I was left with really nothing and a big mountain of debt and medical bills. So that is, that's a really real, real eye opener, I guess you would say on reality of, oh, okay, how do, how do I do this now? What do, what do I need to do to survive here? I had an advantage because I had lived as a single person for a while before we got married. So I think I was more prepared than a lot of widows are. My heart always goes out to widows who don't have a clue about the finances, the the family assets, the debt. I mean, I, I had one widow I talked with. I said to her, oh, I'm so sorry to hear about your husband's passing. And she said, oh, I guess you didn't know. And I said, oh, what's that? And she said, well, we were separated at the time that he passed away. And he left me with a business that's dead. So what do I do now? So she had just unbelievable mountain of, of details and struggles to deal with right away. I mean, soon, soon as he was gone. So those kinds of realities are there. And the, what I tell young, my younger friends, I, I know nobody wants to talk about a husband passing away. I know nobody can ever visualize themselves as a widow, but I tell them, know what your income is, know what your assets are, know what your debts are, be informed because that will only help you in the long run as well as now. 
So that is one of my messages that I share. When someone passes, that's not the only pain point. I mean, it's the overwhelming pain, but you still have decisions to make. The funeral process alone takes a bunch of decisions. But I I did have a little bit of a buffer on that. My daughter-in-law is my youngest one talked with the funeral home and she would come to me and ask, do you want this or that? And I would look and I'd say that. And then my older one put together a video that was going to be done at the funeral home. So I didn't really have to do any of that stuff, but I was so overwhelmed and shocked. I didn't have anything to say to anybody. I was totally leveled because we never saw it coming. This is my advice for anyone, but again, I'm no financial expert either. And that is to have an estate plan done, have a will done. All of those things had been done before my husband passed away. And therefore, all of those decisions had already been made. And I could just grieve. I could focus on my grief. I knew that things were taken care of. I didn't I didn't have to worry about packing up and moving. I didn't have to worry about the income, my assets, my debts, things like that. I knew all of that because we had done an estate plan. And again, what a gift to your loved one to have that done. Because if it's you that goes, you have given them the ability to simply grieve without making a bunch of decisions that they're really not equipped to make at the moment. Do it when you can think clearly. Most of us don't imagine, like you were saying, people don't imagine that that's going to happen to them. And I think, well, that's true for us. Well, I guess I can't speak for you. That's true for me. I never saw it coming. And in thinking about that, there's some things you have to deal with after your spouse passes away. One of the things that I struggled with was regrets. It's not like I could tell him I'm sorry now. It's not like I get an opportunity to redo something. Why are the regrets so heavy then? Or a better question maybe is, do you have any suggestions about how to process regrets and heal from them? I think that that is a really difficult situation because you can't resolve the situation with the person. So it really becomes between you and the Lord to resolve those situations. And I still will have nightmares sometimes about stuff that I wish I would have done differently or something that I didn't respond to maybe soon enough or those kinds of things. I think that may always be with me. I don't know. But what is with me now that wasn't with me then when it first happened is God's forgiveness. And His forgiveness extends over everything that we repent of. And anytime those situations come up for me, I just say, Lord, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry that I I didn't do that right. Or I'm so sorry that I missed that. Or I'm so sorry that I said that. And then I also ask God to show me a person I can help because there are people still here that I can still help and make a difference for. It's not the same kind of relationship, but I can still give back to other people. And so those are the two ways that I deal with it. We have somewhere to take that regret to, and that's a person, the unique person of Christ. I didn't realize how much I took my husband for granted. We had been together a little over 33 years, and we were just in these roles of he did what he did, I did what I did. I wish I would have said thank you more. I totally missed what he did, the magnitude of what he did, because when he passed, I was thinking to myself, well, I might not have to move because I don't have to sell my house, but I have no clue how to do all the stuff that he did in this yard. What about journaling? Did you ever journal? I've heard that's powerful. Oh, yes. I've, I've journaled a lot, almost to the point of, do I, should I destroy these now? Do I really want anybody to read these uh, kind of things? 
But yes, journaling helped me a lot. Prayer and Bible study were huge for me. I never really was that devoted to prayer and Bible study until I had a lot more time and a lot more pain. And yeah, those, those things really made a difference for me. Talk to me about grief counseling, Stephen Ministries. You are the third person to say something about Stephen Ministries in this year for me. So this is new, but it sounds like they're huge. They're instrumental in the grief process and other things as well, but grief in our context here. I've uh, been involved with Stephen Ministries in a variety of different ways for, oh goodness, probably 35 years. And when it applies directly to you, it's, it's a totally different experience, but I found that my training and learning through Stephen ministry really helped me a lot in dealing with my grief because it showed me a way through the grief. I know there are a lot of different understandings, a lot of different opinions about the grief experience, but my understanding is that you go through or and what happened to me I went through the shock phase of this can't be happening I can't believe this is happening to me uh he's going to walk in the front door in five minutes and everything's going to be okay again those kinds of things then you go into the what Stephen Ministries calls the recoil phase where you go okay wow what where do I start? What, how do I deal with all these things that are coming at me? How do I make a new life? How, how do I go on? And then finally, the acceptance phase where the person is not coming back and your life is never going to be the same as it was before, but you are going to go on with your life and it's your choice if you're going to go on and have a productive, happy, well-adjusted life. And that is possible. And I'm living proof of that. So Stephen's Ministries, that can be found in local churches? Right. Each church trains people within their church to do the ministry. And then every church is going to be different now as we're coming out of the pandemic of how they're delivering the ministry to the uh, members and the community. But the ideal structure is for a Stephen minister to meet with a care receiver one-on-one and for prayer, listening. Uh, it's not a counseling ministry. It's not, let me fix your problems. Let me um, give you all this advice. It's uh, Christian caregiving, listening, praying, offering spiritual guidance. That, that's the nature of it. I did not go to grief counseling until two years into my grief. And when I walked in the first meeting, I said, I should have been here a long time ago because they were laying down some groundwork that really helped me orient my struggle. And they answered some questions that I thought that I was, I felt isolated in, but yet it was not the case. So when I gathered this information, it was healing for me. They are there to help you process and they're giving you information and and letting you speak about how you understand that. What that, what does that mean to you with the the information that they're sharing? So that was huge for me. What are some of the things that will help orient a person after the loss of a spouse? The things that really helped me a lot were obviously Bible study, prayer, scriptures, also plugging into my church family, which was very different because now I'm not part of a couple. Now I'm a single, but I'm not really a single because I'm older and I'm a widow. And then, okay, here's all these other widows over here. 
uh, now what do we do with them kind of thing. So it was, yeah, it was very interesting. And I was thankful that people knew me before my husband passed away. So they, they had some understanding already of who I am and as a person. So they didn't just categorize me. Oh, she's a widow. And in a lot of congregations, the widows are isolated. And a lot of times that is just because people don't know who the widows are because the widows often don't identify themselves. One church that I was involved in, we made a list of all the widows and many of the widows on the list didn't even know who the other widows were in our congregation. And some of the pastors didn't know who the widows were. So when, when that was a huge step just to put together a complete list of everybody who's a widow. Everybody's going to engage in a different way. They're going to have different needs. They're going to uh, want to plug in in different ways in their congregation. But just to know who the widows are is, is, can be a huge step. To connect widows and to check on each other and use th- that networking to fulfill needs that maybe they wouldn't bring to the church itself. I'm not sure. But that sounds like, like that would be a healing unit because not that they do it intentionally, but I did not realize how the church speaks to couples and families until I was sitting there as a widow and a single. And then I was like, you know, well, I know the pastors in our church and I know their heart and that's not what they're doing. They're not singling out anyone, but I was listening to the general conversation and the way it's presented and the programs and whatnot and could see that, wow, it's really slanted towards families and couples. Right. And a lot of women have never sat alone in church. They've never gone to church alone. They don't have a clue on how do I do this? And so a lot of them choose not to do it because they don't know where to start. I I put off going to church for a year. Mm-hmm. And then when I did go back, I didn't sit on the same side nor in the same pew or the seats that we have. I sat on the far side by myself, but I knew other people that were there. But still, you feel very lonely because you are alone, Sherry. (laughs) Let me ask you this. It sounds like Bible study was a comfort for you. Your husband was a pastor. And so you have this system, a support system within the church. But did you ever blame God? I can't say that I ever blamed God. I've been angry at God a lot. And I've pointed things out to God. God, don't you see this? Don't you see what's happening here? I've done that a lot. (laughs) And like silly me, of course, he knows. Of course, he sees. He knew knew this was coming before I even got here. So that's probably, those have probably been my biggest struggles. Instead of just trusting, obeying, submitting, letting him take the lead, all the things that I know are the right things to do. So I sometimes our human weaknesses enter in there and uh, the enemy's always waiting to tempt us to to do something different or think something different. I think it's important that we struggle well with God. Like for me, those tough questions, I, at the time I wasn't thinking about it in that context, but I was testing God. I was testing the word. I was testing him to see if he is real. And is he who he says he is? Because that's not what it feels like right now. And so what do you think about this authentic struggle with God? Do you think that's important? I think I had already gone through that in my life. And because I gave my life to Christ when I was 40, I had done a lot of that work already. I think the the hard thing for me was, why don't I get more? Why didn't, why didn't I get more time with him? Why didn't 
we do more things together or why why did it have to end here i think that was that was the hard thing for me well it sounded like he brought it back around it's like he brought it back to a place where there's this great reconciliation or reunion and then commitment and marriage and then it's gone like you said you had what seven years yes so i would be asking the lord what is the sense in that lord what was the purpose of that why would you give this to me and then take this from me? And I feel like that would probably be one of my my questions that I would have struggled with him over. But I do know that grief is as unique as the person it comes upon. And so our struggles look completely different. Plus, our intimate relationship with Christ has its own um, uniqueness about the individual he's created us to be. So a lot of times that's not going to look the same. Moving from the fact that you what your unique struggle with the Lord was coming over to your resources that you have on your website. These are some fantastic resources at the very beginning of the page of resources. You have eBooks that you have written finite prayers to our infinite God. You have more from three sixteens. Talk to me a little bit about that. That was actually an idea that my husband and I had before where he passed away to Max Lucado had come out with a book uh, called, I think it was just called 316, where he had really gone deeply into John 316 and explored it. And one day my husband and I were talking and we said, what, what about the other 316s in the Bible? There have to be other 316s. And so we, we did a search on that. We researched that. We got really excited about it. And we said, you know, this is, we're going to do this. We're going to do this book. And it didn't happen for the two of us, but I was thrilled that God gave me the inspiration and gave me the resources to be able to, to finish that project and actually get it out there. So it explores the kernels of inspiration and messages from God in significant 316 verses in other books of the Bible. What about finding more of God in the Psalms? What about that? Anything you want to add uh, that to that? Was, that was a journey. Uh, my son, Will, gave me a journal uh, that was based on the Psalms. And so I began an in-depth study of the Psalms, writing in my journal, uh, compiling all of that. And after I got to the last page of the journal, I said, I'm going to share some of this. And so that that's where that book came from. 26 Glimpses of Hope. That was an alphabet book. So I just took each letter of the alphabet and talked about things that give me hope and used some of my photos in there. That was a fun project. And then I also did a children's version for my grandchildren of, with that. I like that with the kids. 31 Flavors of Faith. A monthly devotional. You can use one for every day of the month and just based on some of my life observations and experiences. These are all nice resources, all free, inspirational. If you're looking for to give your heart a little peace, a little comfort for the journey. Now, on your recommended resources, the Holy Bible is at the top. Perfect. And then personal growth, Strengths Finder 2.0 from Gallup and Tom Rath. And then you're saying that helped you discover and describe the top five strengths that you have as an individual. So that's interesting for someone who's going through an identity crisis is to discover what their spiritual gifts are, take some sort of uh, inventory, I guess, on that. Talk to us a little bit about an identity crisis and then how does it benefit us to find what our top five strengths are? For me personally, when I went through the StrengthsFinder book and test, that was, it, it changed my understanding of myself. And 
help me to accept myself for who I am and not always be wishing that I was like somebody else. And that, that was the huge, a huge turning point in my life. I was in my fifties when I did that. So I wish I, I wish I could have done that sooner, but it, it was just a fantastic way to understand myself and then say, I'm okay. I'm okay. The way I am here, are my strengths, I'm going to pursue that and follow that and see where that takes me. When you say that, that is, that is huge to understand who you are, because when titles, we're a people of expectations and with titles and responsibilities or labels, people can try and put labels on you. I'm not talking about those types of labels. I'm talking about like widow, wife, husband, things like that. But when those titles are removed, those responsibilities that were rolled up into that title, your your expectations for that title are all gone. And so now you're questioning, well, who am I and where am I going in life? If someone were to take that Strength Finders 2.0 test, uh, that questionnaire to discover who they are, I think it would help orient yourself to who you are. For me, had I not had my feet firmly planted on the Lord as his daughter, when my title of wife was stripped away, I have no clue what would have happened to me. I, I, I don't. I was lost. So thinking about taking some sort of evaluation quiz that will help me get a clearer understanding and embrace who I am. I really like that idea. Now, I don't see a link though for that. Is that something that somebody can just look up? It's on Amazon and they also have a website. Here's another, and you're going to have to help me pronounce that first word, H-A-U-G-K, Spiritual Gifts Inventory. Okay. It's Hauk, H-A-U-G-K. He's the founder of Stephen Ministries. So that's the connection there. But that is the best spiritual gifts inventory I have ever found. It is so thorough and just so right on. It's it's an excellent one. Okay, I know so there's a lot of them out there, but that's that's a fantastic one. All right. A lot of them out there, but that, that one's the one you say does the job. And we can find that through stephenministries.org. Right. And Stephen with the S-T-E-P-H-E-N right. Ministries. And here's another uh, resource you offer up, Journeying Through Grief from stephenministries.org. Talk to me a little bit about that. That is the best tool I've ever seen for understanding the grief experience. And it is a series of four books. And the way that it's most commonly used is you order the set for yourself. Then it's about every three months, you send one to the person who's grieving. So hopefully it, it sort of aligns with where they're at in the grief process. Again, everybody's grief process is different. Everybody goes at a different rate, but that's, that's the way it's designed. It also helps you stay in touch with the person who's grieving for that first year, which is usually the hardest year. All those firsts that you have to go through during that, that first year, uh, those, and so the books are designed to help with that. Great resource then. Freed yeah. Up Financial Living from willowcreek.com. I think your explanation here, your description, a healthy God-centered approach to living within our means and giving to God's kingdom. And then the word, the book Start, just that one word, Start by John Acuff. Right. Uh, what did that, that do was, for you? What did that book, that resource? That was the resource that started More Than a Widow. So I heard John give a presentation at the college where I was working after that presentation, he 
sent out an email and said, who's looking for an adventure? So I responded and said, I'm looking for an adventure. So I became part of what was called the START experiment. That group has still stayed together. We're now called Dreamers and Builders. We have a Facebook group. But he was the one who showed me that there are still more things for me to do in my life. And so I had to ask God, what is it that you want me to start? Because I read the book, I joined this group, I went to the conference, I did all these things, but I wasn't quite sure what I was supposed to start. And as soon as I asked him, he gave me more than a widow. And I still have the journal book where I wrote everything down that, that he gave me. That was in 2013. So it's been a exciting adventure. And I love when we press into him and draw close and ask him these questions that he's right there. Like he's willing to reveal himself. He doesn't play games. He doesn't hide. But as soon as we engage him, he's there to speak. Here's the next resource you provide. It's called Wrecked. When a Broken World Slams into Your Comfortable Life by Jeff Goins. And that does describe becoming a widow pretty accurately. What did you glean from this book? It also taught me about how small my world really was, how small I had allowed my world to get. So when I began to look beyond my house and my car and my short little trip to work and my uh, checking account and all those things that were right here and began to look outward, God really showed me so much more of the world. And a lot of that happened uh, through my work with Bible League International. I was a marketing writer for Bible League. But more than that, it opened my eyes to all the people in the world who do not have the gospel yet, all the people in the world who do not have the gospel in their heart language. It, it just opened my eyes tremendously to the need for sharing the gospel and providing the gospel in languages that people can understand. So that was where Rect and I coincided. That sounds like an adventure in itself. It was. It has been, yeah. The next resource, Making the Climb, What a Novice Climber Learned About Life on Mount Kilimanjaro by John Bowling. Now, how did you make a connection with a climb on Mount Kilimanjaro? All these things happened after I lost my husband. So that's, that's kind of the cool part that God still kept revealing things to me after I lost my husband. So John Bowling was the president of the university where I worked, Olivet Nazarene University. And one of his life adventures was taking the, the risk and challenge of uh, climbing Mount Kilimanjaro. And that book chronicles his experiences. And you can have one image of a person as a university president. And I would relate with him often. I was public relations for the university. So we related a lot. But when you imagine him and you see in the pages of his book, him as a, a hiker up a mountain with all the struggles and challenges, you can't escape those struggles and challenges. You're going to encounter what every other hiker and king climber encounter on that mountain. And I suppose you could overlay that climb, that struggle, those challenges with the different, like in our context of being widows. We're climbing a mountain, or at least sometimes it feels like we're climbing a mountain with the challenges and whatnot. But this is definitely new territory for us. So maybe there is some overlay to climbing Mount Kilimanjaro. Some of the challenges for widows 
are similar, how we handle them is often different. One of the things you said a minute ago, and I really like that God keeps revealing himself to us. So there's no end to what he has for our life. And there's new adventures. I mean, look at these books and what they've done for your life and the resources that you've shared, the, the ebooks that you've written. All of these things have been your life experiences. And this, you said that this was after the death of your husband. So here's this quite an interesting life going on here and time to really live that life. God always has more for us, no matter who we are, where we are, what age we are. God always has more for us. That's encouraging. More to give, more to explore, more to reveal. It never ends. So on your About Laura Warfel page on your website, it says, Walking directly into the waves, Laura Wasson Warfel helped a Cambodian refugee family settle in the United States moved to Phoenix when it was an electronics boomtown, married a blind minister, presented more than 150 seminars on grief, triumphed over cancer, learned social media as it developed and grew. Now, the social media part is probably the scariest of what I just read there. But that is such a full life. That is such a full life. God's really blessed me. And even in the times when I was disobedient and far away from him, he kept his hand on me and I can point to multiple times when I was aware of that. I was not always an obedient daughter. I was not always a person who would point people to Jesus. That's probably one of my biggest regrets in life is all the people that saw a bad example of a Christian in me. And I live every day now just with the prayer that I can point people to Christ with who I am now. I totally rely on the fact that when I'm not walking with the Lord or when I have, I'm off on my own over here doing something, that He's still present. He still cares. He's still providing, covering, protecting until even until we turn around and come back. He forgives. He covers over. I still have consequences to live with. But at, at this age now, in this stage of life, um, I am able to turn around faster. I'm not saying I got it right <laughs> or I'm perfect about my walk with the Lord, but I know to turn around faster. And I think that's the sign of maturity with being a Christian and walking with God. I don't think we ever get it perfect or we ever get it right, but we just get to back to Him faster. What's your thoughts about maturing? And we always get another chance. He, he never says, okay, Laura, that's Amen. it. <laughs> I'm done with you. He never says that. Amen. That's so beautiful. Someone said to me one time, and I really liked the imagery that they gave me. They said that with Christ, the door is always open. He doesn't pressure you to stay. He doesn't try to trap you in there to stay. You can walk out and you can come back. And he's still there. He's still being him. He's still doing what he does. He's still loving. That's priceless to me. You can sit at his feet like Mary. You can work in the kitchen like Martha, and he still loves you. Always good, all the time. God is good all the time. Laura, I have had a fantastic time talking with you, looking at resources, looking at recovering from becoming a widow, looking at how our identity can be strengthened, looking at a relationship with Christ, looking at your interesting life. You live an interesting life, and God has adventure for you. Is there anything that I have not asked about or anything that you want to share that I have overlooked or forgotten, something that you want a widow to know today about 
being encouraged? My ministry is called More Than a Widow because I believe that God has more for every one of us. And our job is to find our more and live our more. That's my goal to help widows do that. I hear from widows at all different stages of their loss and grief process. I hear ones who don't believe they will live another day without their husbands. I hear ones who have gone on and started their own businesses and remarried and done other things with their lives and everything in between. And what I really want widows to know is that you still, you're still here for a reason. You still have things to do and you need to find out what that is and do it. Ask God to show you and he will. I'm living proof of that. Also, I want people who know widows, I want you to know, don't be afraid to reach out to a widow and offer help. A lot of times in our culture, people think, oh no, if I help a widow, I'll never get loose. That I'll, I'll be uh, her slave. I'll, she'll be calling me all the time with problems and things to fix and all of that. What I want people to know is that if you offer one specific way that you can help a widow, you will make a huge difference in her life because what seems commonplace to one of us can be totally overwhelming and debilitating for another person, especially for a widow, and especially for a widow who's never had to deal with things on her own. So take that risk and reach out and offer help. Also, reach out to widows and let them know you're there, even if they don't respond, even if they don't accept your invitations to get together, even if they don't return your phone calls, just keep reaching out and let her know that you're there. Unless she says, stop bothering me and don't call me anymore. That's a whole different story. But it's so reassuring. Even if I don't need you right now, it's so reassuring to know that you're there for me. And that's really important. And I think it helps to keep the isolation limited because isolation is one of the most depressing things to endure. And that's Satan's playground is isolation. So breaking that loneliness is huge, I would think. When you think back over your journey of walking through a very dark valley and coming out on the other side and into the green pastures again, can you remember anything or does something come to your mind at the moment that I'm asking you this question, a cold question that you don't know that you're going to get? And that is, what is something beautiful that God said to you in the dark? I think the most beautiful thing God said to me in the dark was, I am the light of the world. That is specific to you. It's general for the entire world. And the more of God's light that I have in me, the more I can shine it to other people. And that's given me a lot of hope and a lot of encouragement. I think you know the fact that how many people you do help. And I believe that's part of the restoration story that God has for you as the individual that he created you. And meaning part of his restoration is that you would turn around and help someone else, that you would guide them through the territory you've already been through and ultimately pointing them to God as the responsible party for life, death, sovereignty. So that's another layer of peace, another layer of comfort in the process of pain and suffering. When I first started More Than a Widow, I was listening to a lot of messages from the world of you have to have 
this many followers, you have to sell books, you have to do all these things in order to be respected and to be credible. And God had to crush my ego and get me down to the point where I was on my knees. And I said, Lord, all I want to do is help one widow. If I can help one widow, then all of this will be worthwhile. And that's still where I am. The example you just gave me brought something back to my mind, to my heart. In that submission is when we really have our focus on God, and then we can see where he wants to take this. That's powerful. Definitely. Laura, you've been fantastic. I deeply appreciate you. I appreciate your time. And I know that my listeners will gain great value from our conversation today. Take care. Thank you, Sherry. And thanks for having me. I just, I love these opportunities to connect and especially to be able to connect with you, widow to widow. It's my blessing. Thank you for your time and for sharing this experience with my guest. I hope you have found encouragement for today and a deeper revelation of God's heart in the midst of pain and suffering. We'd love to have you as a subscriber to Finding God in Our Pain so that you can be connected with all my guests as they share their personal experiences and professional knowledge about pain and suffering. And because this podcast is a division of the website, A Life of Thrive, for more information and the various ways you can connect with us, please visit the website, alifeofthrive.com. I look forward to sharing more transparent stories from the hearts of women who intimately know what it means to have their world flipped upside down, their authentic struggle to make sense of it, and what recovery and healing looks like. Till then, sweet woman, remember you are not alone and that God speaks the most beautiful things in the dark.